Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be pulling those out. We're going to be turning to Luke chapter 19 in just a moment. Uh, but before we do, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Father, we uh, are thankful for your word. God, and we, we pray as, as we just open up our palms to you this morning uh, that we will receive uh, the teaching that you have prepared for us today. God, we're grateful that your word is alive as we sang last night. And God, I, I pray that we will continue to allow uh, your word to, to guide us to the scriptures, to form us, uh, that as we explore the written word, we get to know the living word, Jesus Christ. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're coming uh, to the last few weeks in our series, World Game Changer, uh, where we have been exploring just the, the reality of Jesus' coming. And in the Gospels, we've been looking at this idea of uh, Jesus inaugurating the kingdom of God. And so what we've been looking at primarily in the Gospels is, is phrases that include uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so each week we've, we've been taking a look at, okay, what, what does it mean to live as citizens of this kingdom? What, what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and to seek first that particular kingdom? Uh, so last week we said that this phrase uh, is something that Jesus uses to bookend uh, the greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. So he uses this phrase, kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end of the Beatitudes, he, he says, he says the blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we, we have this bookend of this phrase, and in between uh, these Beatitudes is a beatitude that we focused on last week, and I want to focus on that once again this week, this idea that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs are, they are the children of God. And, and this is, this is a, a hard teaching. It's one that we have to go and, and learn because sometimes on the surface there's, there's more going on underneath that, that we need to think about, that we need to, to practice in our own lives. I told you one of the quotes that God used to deal with me on my sabbatical last month was a quote from author Pete Scazzaro, who wrote the, the book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And what Pete said is that too much of contemporary church culture is characterized by false niceness and superficiality. We view conflict as a sign that something is wrong, so we do whatever we can to avoid it. We prefer to ignore difficult issues and settle for a false peace hoping that our difficulties will somehow disappear on their own. They don't. So we said last week that in, in order to experience, in order to, to live into this true peace, that we, we really must disrupt false peace. So how many of us prefer to just appease at times? Maybe not all of us, but how many of us uh, uh, prefer to appease at times? Hey, what do you want for lunch? I don't care. What do you want? Where do you want to go? I mean, it doesn't matter to me. What, what, what would you like? Well, I don't care. What would you want? I, I, it doesn't matter to me. Where you want. And we, I heard this conversation in the foyer last week. I mean, it was 30 minutes back and forth of, of where we're going to go to lunch. And a lot of times we just want to appease the people in our group. So we'll just, we'll go wherever. What about avoiding? Does anybody like to avoid from time to time? Maybe we avoid a difficult personality. Maybe we avoid a situation. Maybe we avoid 
you know, a, a circumstance and we just, we just avoid. Or maybe uh, we're afraid. We're afraid to disrupt the peace. And so we just, we harbor that fear. Yet for some of us, we don't appease, we don't avoid. We go in guns blazing, in anger or rage, or I'm right. And what we end up doing is that we leave damage all around us when we do that. So last week we considered the difference between a false peacemaker and a true peacemaker. And as we think about this idea of peacemaking that leads to pretending, false peacemaking that leads to pretending versus kingdom peacemaking that that leads to true peace, we said that who we have to look to is Jesus. How did Jesus establish peace on earth? And so that's what we want to look at today. And this is, that's the, that's the whole summary from last week. So if you missed last week, you're good now. And now we're moving into part two, which is the more practical part of, okay, how do we live this out? It's one thing to acknowledge that, that there's this difference between false peace and true peace, but, but how do we live this out? What does this look like in everyday life? What does this look like in the workplace? What does this look like in your home? What does this look like in the church? What does this begin to look like when it manifests itself into true peacemaking so that we can live out the reality of the blessing of being a peacemaker and become image bearers, children of God? So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus goes to Jerusalem for Passion Week. It's the triumphal entry narrative. And it's Passion Week, and, and we think uh, of a city that is, is swelling to six times its population. I mean, just, just think of the World Games a few weeks ago here in Birmingham, when our city swelled in population. I mean, you know, roads were, were more congested, there was more people bustling around. Uh, th- this is the idea that we want to have in our minds when we think of Passover week, when, when folks are coming in for this special occasion. And so they are crying out when Jesus enters in, they are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. This is is what the people are saying. Palm branches are going down. This, This is what they are crying out, Hosanna. In Luke 19, 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And what the people are really saying is down with the Romans. Kill them. We're tired of them. Get them out of our lives. Finally, we have this guy who can do miracles. Finally, we have this guy who can, who can ride in and save the day and get rid of these Romans that are destroying our lives and making our lives so hard. We're sick of them. And the people are not looking for the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. They are looking for a revolutionary leader, a Messiah who will finally put these Romans in their place. That's what they're looking for. If we're not careful, it's what we can be looking for today. Jesus knows that this is the hearts of his disciples as well as the hearts of the people who are crying Hosanna. This is their hearts. He knows that. And so we get to Luke 19, 41. And what do we read? 
as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Did you catch that? He wept. Verse 42, and said, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus says there will be consequences. And there's the context for the next verse. We, we have to get this in our minds when we read this next section, verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Oh, we see a similar story in John chapter 2, a little more detail fleshed out. Uh, some believe that this is the same story, Luke 19 and John 2 are the same story. Some believe, no, it's, it's two separate incidents. Uh, but regardless, they're, they're here in Luke we have this context and we see that, that Jesus wept bitterly. And this is not just like a little tear coming down his eye. Uh, the, the word in, in the Greek is, is the same word that we see when Peter denied Jesus and then he went out and wept bitterly. This is the same word that is being used for Jesus' weeping. He's distraught. I mean, he, he's looking at the people saying, you, you are thinking that I'm going to do one thing, but that's not why I came. This is not why I'm here. And so they want this military disaster, and Jesus is sobbing over it. Jesus knows that the path that they are on, the path that they want him to be on, is a complete disaster. Do you know anybody in your life that's on a path for disaster? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Like if, if you keep on this path, it, it is not going to turn out well for you. Jesus knows they're on a path for disaster, so he, he weeps. And I want us to hold that in context, hold that in context with what, what we're going to talk about today. Because according to Dr. Luke, this is the context with which Jesus enters into the temple courts. And I don't want us to miss that. He goes to the outer court where the Gentiles were. There's three courts, the outer court, the inner court, the Holy of Holies. And he goes into this outer court. and. And he, he sees all these merchants and all these booths set up. And just think about, uh, you know, this, this fair-like atmosphere. Think about, you know, this, this kind of market-type place and booths everywhere. And they're, they're, selling, they're selling sheep. They're selling goats. They're selling grains in order for the people to make their sacrifices. But, but what they're doing is, is they're, they're often gouging the people. And so... Uh, you know, what, what would typically be, you know, $3 for a sheep is, is 10 times as much. It's going to be $30, you know. I mean, it's like going to Disney, you know. It's like, you know, it's just, it's like, okay, I, I know I can get this, you know, cheaper, you know, somewhere else, but I got to pay it because I'm here. And th this, is what, this is what's happening in the outer court. And, and Jesus noticed this because there, there's people coming into the temple gate and they're, they're just looking for God. They're just looking for God. 
And they have all of this roadblock in front of them. They're getting the rules, they're getting the regulations, they're getting gouged like there's no tomorrow, and, and, and they can't get to God. And, and Jesus is angry. So when Jesus overturns the, the tables, I mean, this is the massive, when we say outer court, this is a massive outer court. I mean, there, there could be literally hundreds of tables. And so, so some would speculate that it, it would take a small army in order to go in and turn over all these tables. We read in John that he had a, a whip. And what we see in this moment is that we see the force of Jesus when it is unleashed. But here's what we can't miss, that his anger to disrupt the false peace is flowing out of a deep love and compassion. This is what N.T. Wright says, it says, when you reflect on Jesus' words and deeds of judgment, don't forget the tears. And remember with all that if Luke 19, 11 through 27 is indeed about Jesus embodying the long-awaited return of God to Zion, those tears are not just the human reaction to a sad and frustrating situation. They are the tears of the God of love. These are the tears that inform Jesus' movement into disrupting the false peace. And if we yield to the call to disrupt false peace, we have to remember the Jesus way. So a few things for us to remember. Number one is that peacemaking fundamentally is a work of love. It is a work of love. If peacemaking does not flow from a heart of love, what's going to happen is that we don't become peacemakers, we become dangerous. We've seen a, a wake of bodies, virtually speaking, on social media when somebody decides that they're going to go in and disrupt the false peace. We see, we see a wake of disruption that is damaging. So consider the flow of the Beatitudes. We talked about this last week, and, I, and I, we have to get this, I believe, in our minds in order for us to really understand what it means to be a peacemaker and receive that blessing. So in verse 3 of Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We, we begin with humility. We have to begin with humility. There's a spiritual bankruptcy that, that has to be a part of, of our entering into any kind of situation. Uh, number four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 4. That we embrace our vulnerability, we embrace our humanity, we embrace our limits. Blessed are those who mourn. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So you see how, how this is beginning to work through us, not just in us, but it's beginning to work through us because we don't push people, we don't force people, we don't shove people into our plans. God is in charge. It's one of our members, Wilma Reinhardt says, God is large and in charge. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We are a people where our choices are about God. We hunger, we thirst 
for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And so we exercise the kindness that, that we've been shown. I've been shown, I receive God's mercy, and out of that I am now giving it to others. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We are a people who choose God's will. Do you see this flow of the Beatitudes? And then we're ready for after these six to hear the words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. If peacemaking does not flow from a place of love, you and I don't become peacemakers. We become dangerous. So we begin with love, but secondly, peacemaking requires wisdom. So we exercise wisdom. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't come in and, and flip the tables everywhere he went. He didn't come in and cleanse the, the temple every single day. No, there was a, there was a timing. There was, there was a wisdom to Jesus's actions that flowed from this place of love, but then acted in a way that was, was wise. Because let's just be honest, okay? Let's, let's just be honest. Disrupting false peace is complicated. <laughs> Amen? I mean, it, I didn't get many amens, but I, I can tell you in my own life, it's complicated when I've disrupted false peace. And it, and it goes against everything in, in my Enneagram 9 peacemaking kind of personality, you know, it goes against everything, you know, to try to disrupt false peace. And it, it gets complicated. It gets complicated in our families. That's why sometimes holiday meals can get a little dicey. You know if you bring up that one thing, <laughs> here we go. Uncle so-and-so's got me, here it goes. You know, we bring up this one thing, and then all of a sudden, pfft, you know, things are, are, are unraveling right before our eyes. It's complicated in the family. It's complicated in the workplace, disrupting false people. It's complicated in the church, disrupting false peace. This is a complicated, so I don't want to communicate that, hey, this is easy. I mean, this is, but, but we have to look at how Jesus entered into these situations. Proverbs 14, 8 says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. If you go into a difficult situation with, with guns blazing, even in the name of love, without exercising wisdom, it's, it's dangerous. Uh, it's like if one of our kids comes and, and tells on the other kid, you know, if I, if I make the mistake of immediately just going guns blazing to the other kid, you did what? I can't believe. Go back to Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Anybody with kids know that to be true? Let's have a little bit of examination here and see what's really going on. And so often I've come in with guns blazing to who I believe was a guilty party. I need to do some inner work <clears throat> before I disrupt the false peace. To do some inner work. This is what we've been talking about this weekend. We don't appease or avoid conflict, creating some sense of false peace, whether we engage as true peacemakers using wisdom. 
We have some uh, doctors in this room. We have those of you who are involved in the medical community. And you know, you, you see it on a daily basis. I mean, just think of a, of a doctor who brings chemotherapy to a patient. <clears throat> Literally poison in order to heal the body. Or if you're a surgeon, you cut into the body, you cut into the person in order to bring about healing. True peacemakers understand that you have to disrupt and cut into lies and falsehoods so that true peace, true healing can come. So a family that's built on lies and pretenses will never experience the life of the kingdom. Peacemaking is a work of love. Peacemaking requires wisdom, but peacemaking also disrupts false peace. So we let Jesus overturn that which is keeping us from seeing God. I mean, what, what are the things in, in our lives that we need Jesus to come and overturn? Because they're, they're keeping us from seeing God. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we do do a little bit of that inner soul work and we recognize, yeah, there, there are some things in my life that are keeping me from seeing God. And I know it's not going to be easy. I know it may even be complicated, but, but, but Jesus, I need you to, to come and overturn the tables that are keeping me from seeing him. We have to stop doing violence to our own souls so that God's peace can fill us. Because catch this, you, you cannot give out peace that you do not have. We have to be filled with God's peace in order to give it out. The frenzy of our activity destroys our inner capacity for peace. So we go into solitude and silence, not to withdraw from others, but as Henry Nouwen says in his book, Reaching Out, that we looked at this weekend at our prayer retreat, that solitude and silence move us toward deeper engagement. They move us toward deeper engagement with God, but they move us into deeper engagement with one another. And so this is what we practice as our Lord did. If our souls don't have room to breathe, we will not let love be our guide and you will not pursue wisdom. You will not disrupt false peace very well. So I want it to close today in silence and solitude. As we reflect on the matter of first importance, that Christ came, that he lived, that he was buried and died, and that he rose again. If you did not receive the communion elements on your way in, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand where you're at, and we'll have somebody bring those to you. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who did not avoid your sin? 
but rather he, he made peace. Uh, before the Zoe group was formed in 1997, the early church was singing hymns. And many believe that there's a few passages in Scripture that are structured in such a way that it's, it's very possible that at the very least they were poetry, but, but it's even more possible that, that they were actually lyrics to hymns. And one of those lyrical structures we find in Paul's writing in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we enter into this moment of solitude, recognizing that we, we don't participate in this meal alone, that we are surrounded by brothers and sisters, not, not just in this room, but worldwide, kingdom-wide, that we have brothers and sisters that are gathering right now 10 minutes down the road at Roosevelt City Church. We have brothers and sisters that are, are gathering all over this community and, and all over this nation, all over this world. We have brothers and sisters in, in Rwanda, Africa that will be gathering sometimes today. Brothers and sisters in Honduras and in all the, the flags that are represented behind me, we have folks that are gathering in your name to participate in this meal. It's the largest party the restaurant has ever seen. And here we are. And so, Father, as we uh, take the bread and as we receive the cup this morning, God, we, we pray that it is, it is a moment that we, we cherish is a moment that, that informs the rest of our week this week. It's a moment that we are reminded of your love for us and how that love flows out into the difficult places that we'll find ourselves in this week, the difficult conversations we'll find ourselves in, the difficult personalities that we may encounter, the hard places, God, that you are there that you are in our midst. And so we want to, to lead with love. We want to enter those places with wisdom, and we want to be peacemakers in the truest sense. And we're grateful that we can do that because you made peace through the body and the blood of Jesus shed on the cross.
We remember that now. We reflect on that now as we take the bread. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. The body of Christ given for you. Let's pray for the cup. Father, in the same way Jesus took the cup, gave it to his disciples, said, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we're thankful for the blood that cleanses us. And we pause right now just to acknowledge the tables that we need turned over in our own lives. Now, what are those things? We cast those cares upon you right now. God, thank you for the blood of Jesus that takes away our sin, that takes away our shame and our guilt, that our iniquities were placed on him that by his stripes we are healed. God, we thank you for that healing that we remember in this meal today. And we pray that we will be healing agents as we go into our lives this week. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Behold the man upon the 
Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give church said amen uh, so grateful for your presence again today uh, Zoe group thank you uh, for being with us today what a blessing it's been to have you guys here we don't ever want to leave this space uh, without giving you an opportunity to to meet with one of our shepherds uh, or to just pray with them and so there'll be a shepherd down front also a shepherd and a spouse back in this room which is our chapel to my right uh, if you need some time with them we would encourage you to to, to go and be with them I'm going to ask you to, do we want to stand? I'm going to ask you to stand uh, as we uh, sing this last song. Yeah. 